And then running for mayor is fabulous because every person I have ever talked to has a specific idea mm. about how Nashville could be better. It may be that their trash needs to be collected differently or the recycling needs to be handled differently, or they want to tell me about this incredible principle at their children's school. Everybody has an idea about how to be, how to be part of this great city going forward, and that is beyond inspiring. Welcome, friends, to the Let's Give a Damn podcast, your one-stop shop for hearing from incredible damn givers and for learning how you can give a damn right now today with the people around you and in the places around you. I'm your host, Nick LaPara. Thank you so much for showing up today. My guest today is, fingers crossed, the future mayor of Nashville, John Cooper. Now, John agreed to come on the show to share his story, some of his policies, some of his ideas, but I knew enough about his life and career before we even met to know that you'll be encouraged and challenged to give a damn in so many ways today. John and I got together last week to record this podcast conversation. Truthfully, it's not going to be as long as I had hoped it would be because when we got together, we began chatting and we chatted and we chatted about so many different things. And then we were 30 minutes away from when he had to leave for his next meeting when I finally hit record and began our conversation. But once I hit record, we had a great conversation that I know you're going to enjoy. Because we didn't hit on everything I had hoped to during our chat, here's a little more about John. And you're gonna see that he has been giving a damn for quite some time, longer than most of you have been alive. On top of being a great father and a great husband and having a wonderful career in real estate, John has served on numerous Metro Council committees, including the Independent Audit Committee, Public Works, Parks and Libraries, Budget and Finance. He has also served, actually he currently serves, on the Greenways Commission and the Leadership Council for Nashville's After Zone Alliance, which supports after-school learning in public schools. He created and donated two signature public parks in the Nashville area, the Tower Park and the Margaret Hayes Powell Park. John also founded Happy Retails, a volunteer-directed pets product retail store where all the profits go to Animal Rescue. And those profits have provided over $500,000 to local animal charities. Bottom line, I think you're going to love my conversation with John Cooper. So let's get right into it, shall we? John Cooper, welcome to Thank the Let's you. Give a Damn podcast. Thank you so much. I give for, a damn. I give a damn. Yes, I, I know you do. And that's why you're here. There's three things that I, there's three main things. We're going to accomplish a lot in the next few minutes, but there's three main things I want to do. I want to get to know your story. That's, I, I think you're very fascinating ever since I've been following you the last couple of months and hearing, you know, following your social media. I think you're fascinating and I, I don't trust politicians. And so, um, and I, I, I trust what I know about you. And so I want to get to know you too. I want those that live in Nashville that follow this podcast, because uh, there's listeners from all over the world. I think they'll benefit still very much, but I want Nashvillians to get to know you and for them to put their vote behind you coming up here soon. And then wow. third, I want those that are not in Nashville that won't get to vote for you. I want them to hear about your story and learn what it looks like to be a politician in an integrity-filled way, which I think I don't know. I don't know that much about you, but from what I've heard, people that know you, that's what I want them to. I want them to to regain a little bit of trust in local politicians, especially as a result of our conversation today. So, do you think we can accomplish well, that in the next few minutes? I hope so. I hope so. I'll okay. do my best. So, you are one of the few people that I have met in Nashville in our year and a half here, 
that is actually from Nashville. True. I'm serious. I, I think I can fit on both of my hands the amount of people that were born and bred here in Nashville. I actually grew up in a little town near Nashville called Shelbyville. Shelbyville. Just to be... Explicit, but but, it but born enough. here, but yes. born here, My middle Tennessee, whole life here. Yes, yeah. okay. So, and I've gone off and worked in other places, but I've never really been. I always knew I home. was coming back. Yeah. This is home. I never unpacked my childhood treasure. Right, right. Okay. They they always stayed yeah. right right, right here. So tell me something about Nashville early on that's gonna that will blow my mind because I've been here for a year and a half. I've heard there have been massive changes in the last five to seven years, mm. but you've been here for a few mm. dozen years. Tell me something about Nashville early, early on that would blow my mind, that would be very interesting, just something that I wouldn't know about the place that we're sitting in right now. Well, I mean, it was always historically a smaller town. So there's a friend of mine who has been on the city council for years and started running back in the 1980s. And uh, we go out to lunch sometimes and we play this game. And we'll go to one of these fabulous new places and we'll say, do you know anybody in this restaurant? And neither of us will know anybody in this restaurant. It was inconceivable that we had would have ever had a meal anywhere in Nashville where you didn't know at least one person in any restaurant in Nashville. And um, that's the level of, of change of this a traditional southern town that was always a little bit different. So some some things to remember about Nashville is that it was always different for the South. It always, partly due to the Vanderbilt and uh, education and the Athens of the South, that it thought of itself as not um, southern in a traditional way, but s- southern with all the nice parts and not southern without any of the bad parts. Mm. And we had a kind of our own cuisine, meat and three and fruit tea. And yeah, I challenge anybody to go very far from here and they will not know what fruit tea is. And that's exactly just what you had for lunch. But it was a smaller town, church-based town. It repressed any memory of the Civil War in part because it was occupied by the Union Army and the people who were here did not like the changes of the occupation and then the difficulties of the years thereafter. So Unlike places in Virginia that kind of like celebrated the Civil War, Nashville really did not um, and was uncomfortable with its role really almost on either side that you were on. Mm. And that led um, specifically to this famous local thing, Fort Negley, our most important historical artifact from that era, which is a fort built in downtown Nashville by impressed slaves. And Nashville never quite knew what to do with it. To uh, Now it understands that it's our greatest symbol. Mm. You know, here you have a fort built by African-Americans to defend their freedom, and it's where uh, African-American regiments were formed that fought with the Union Army, and then it's right downtown on a hill, but it sat neglected. It sat neglected for Mm -hmm. years and years. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knew what to do with it. The old Nashville didn't know what to do with it. Everybody had heard about it, but nobody quite knew where it was, and it was going to be a national park, and it had been the traditional picnic hill for everybody who lived in downtown Nashville, but nobody lived in downtown Nashville anymore, so what to do with it? So in preserving that in the last years, you are reaching back to the past. And, you know, your original question is a a kind of a fact about Nashville. The fact about Nashville is that a lot of people who had grown up here never knew where Fort Negley was because we repressed our identification. We didn't quite understand 
the platform and the opportunity of what that fort held for the 21st century and this kind of symbol of a more diverse environment. But Nashville was a Confederate capital that fell early in the war and because of that attracted a lot of African-Americans seeking freedom. Mm. And that is how Fisk, that all these incredible institutions got created. I mean, General Fisk set up uh, barracks for the education of the incoming African-Americans. And in gratitude, I believe this is the right story, they named the, the school for him. And then Fisk gets Nashville named the music city. I don't know if you know the story. I did not know that. Well, to raise money for Fisk, um, the incredibly gifted singers form a troupe, the Jubilee Singers. They go around America raising money for Fisk, this fabulous new educational institution initial. This is before Vanderbilt is formed. And they do an American tour and then they do a European tour and they're playing in London in front of Queen Victoria. And Queen Victoria summons them up to where she is and says, where are you from? And they say Nashville. And she says, well, that just must be a music city. And that's how Music City comes is from Fisk, which comes back to the, in effect, the Civil War. And then we're launched into this incredible path with Fisk and then Meharry and the other colleges that are on Jefferson Street and the street that will be the most exciting street in the South should be what other street and the South has three universities within a few blocks of each other. But once again, we didn't, like Fort Negley, we didn't really preserve and cherish what was there. And with the when the interstate came in, it did an incredible disservice to Jefferson Street. And we've really never done the yes. urban planning that was necessary to create the right environment around these these three universities. Was that partly because Nashville grew too quickly, that there wasn't the proper planning, or, or was well, it just bad it, planning it, all it around? Was, well, it was uh, bad planning. We were talking earlier, all urban planning tends to get it wrong because you're addressing the previous challenge and not understanding the future challenge. And really the problem, I think, with always Jefferson reacting Street, always reacting, and then it's a, often a problem with Nashville that you're implementing the very best thinking from a generation ago. Right. You know, we're up to date. It was the best. And other places may have moved on and learned. And this is, uh, but the interstate system was done in such a different era. Somebody literally like with a magic marker and a big piece of paper using 1950 census data, you know, drew all these lines and these awkward connections. I mean, it is kind of weird if you think about it as to having three major interstates one, New York to California traffic, the other up to Chicago traffic, three major interstates circle and meet in a downtown, right? How is that good planning uh, that you deliberately are bringing traffic to your most congested point? But in that era, and being an old, older person from Nashville, people didn't understand that traffic would one day be a problem. There were not that many people here. The capacity seemed like a whole lot. So, of course, you would go ahead and meet, and then you would make it convenient to get to downtown Nashville. And then in that era, people were leaving Nashville. They were having to look for green space elsewhere in the suburbs rather than this kind of fantastic and modern idea of bring green space to people. So add green space into the city that you're building and build a great city rather than move the people out to some level of green space. But every, every moment, every urban planning moment clearly has its challenges. And you always worry that you're doing something right now that's responsive, but not proactive, proactive. about what's 
what's yeah, yeah, needed yeah. for the future. So you are running to be the next mayor uh, of Nashville. Yes, tomorrow, tomorrow is one right. month right. until early voting. Early, early voting right? right. So it's very, very soon. And it hasn't been that long since you decided yeah, to run, right. right? This is a short run and you guys are hitting the ground running. I love all the stuff that you and your team are doing. You, right now you're an at-large councilman for, yeah. that's what you've been doing the last four, four years, years, right? And we'll talk a little bit about some of the career stuff you've done. You've right. had a, you've had a jam-packed, you know, a, a, what seems to be a pretty amazing, interesting career. So why why do you want to run to be the mayor of Why Nashville? do you want to run for mayor? Yeah. Well, in Nashville, mayor is where you can get stuff done. Yes. And on the council, you can be on the council, and it's such a, you know, I've so enjoyed and been honored by doing it. But ultimately, you're kind of a jury, and you can prevent bad stuff from happening. And so much of the stuff that happens is the the deals, the packagings, the financings, that's really up to the mayor to produce a budget. It's up to the mayor to negotiate affordable housing contracts. It's the amount of money that goes to schools. In the end, if you work enough in metro government, you see a clear path to a great future, and you feel like you have to put that idea out there. I, I was kind of, people say, kind of late to running for mayor. And in reality, we shouldn't have these infinitely long campaigns. You should Completely be focused. Agree with you. you should show up with a story, with a message, and, and get on with it and not inflict a campaign endlessly on people. And, and, and in our own case, the current mayor has been there for a year. I did want to give him every opportunity to, to deliver on a different vision for Nashville, and ultimately I felt that that simply was not happening. Now, and there are a couple of areas that particularly, one is financial stewardship in Nashville. We are a growing city. We are, have a lot of needs. To have great plans requires trust with the public and also a plan for financing them appropriately and to be careful with our resources. You look at where we are right now, our debt has doubled in the last few years. Mm. Interest is taking half of our new revenue. We have revenue growth if we just let debt and interest expense overwhelm that cost. So it's a classic problem of financial management. And then equally, it's been a very successful phase in chapter one of creating a very vibrant downtown, but we let downtown sort of collect its, all the taxes from downtown. So for example, in downtown Nashville, super successful tourist environment, 15 million tourists. Japan only has 30 million tourists. Wow. All the sales taxes downtown go back to tourism in the Music City Center. So $46 million of sales tax money ends up back in the tourist space being reinvested back in tourism rather than out to the general fund. Mm. And then meanwhile, the general fund picks up a lot of costs for downtown. Yes, and do, probably yeah. the time has come to rebalance that and to get a dividend back out to neighborhoods into the county from basically the energy and the magic, and let's say magic, of going on in downtown. The hotel tax also gets redeployed back into tourism. So the city has to find a sustainable financing for handling the cost of growth going forward. And that means turning the page on subsidizing downtown. The idea that we have to pay people to come to Nashville, you know, is amazing. But in fact, we, we have done that. I mean, yep. that's a policy, you know, is to pay people to come to Nashville. Now the trick is that people come for the city, but they stay for the neighborhoods. So you, I believe, live in one fast-growing, fantastic neighborhood. That neighborhood needs investment. And the more you put back in the neighborhood and investments in stormwater and schools and sidewalks, the more you're going to like it, the more you want to stay. You're, in the end, probably going to tell people, 
you don't live in Nashville. You live in that neighborhood. You live in Old Hickory. You live we'll say in that Jolfin. first instead we'll of say that, Nashville. Yeah, instead yeah. of Nashville as yeah. the neighborhoods. And then the neighborhoods become this live, work, play because people are reorganizing how you work. The old batch processing mode where everybody was delivered to a particular place because they work together in large groups is less of a thing. People are working at home, they're mm. independent contractors, they're consultants. Why do you have to go to a particular place to work? I mean, you can and you will, but the future is to make your area of Nashville so great that you are happy to stay, that you've got greenways, you've got parks. There'll be less general traffic because that old suburban model of people pulsing into a downtown and then back out to the suburbs yep. at nine and five every day is going to be less of this thing. There will be some of that, but the traffic downtown, frankly, the tourism space is uh, really taking over a big part of downtown. And now what used to be downtown is really out in the gulch and in midtown and yep. the surrounding spaces. And then that will move on back, probably back out to, to a more neighborhood environment in time. You've talked about teachers being the developers yes. that we need to support. And, and you've, you've coupled that with, it's all about human capital. That's the ladder of opportunity and success. So I have two kids in school, one more joining them, my last child joining them this autumn. Well, what do you mean by that? Why, why is that one of the first, when somebody in the Tennessee and asked you like summarize your campaign, right. talk about, that was the first thing that came out. Why is that important? Well, it's easy for cities to get distracted and to be inert and not changing with the times. There, there was a time in downtown Nashville, the banks and the insurance companies disappeared and people had to be worried about downtown. And in response to that, very creatively, through a lot of different subsidies, there's a new downtown created. But in the end, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars go on certainly a long-term basis and there's probably $175 million of the tax money collected and spent downtown now in the current environment. You've got abatements and TIF loans and participation agreements, cheap asset sales. Everything was done to create this downtown. In the meantime, schools' share of the metro budget really has kind of gone down over time. But if you think of it, it is the limiting factor of our growth in the future. So making an appropriate strategic switch from subsidies to downtown to more money for schools is actually addressing our long-term growth needs because a, a poor school system will limit our ability to grow and then will limit our own population's ability to take advantage of that growth mm. with just basic workforce, workforce skills. So that sentence is exactly right. Teachers are the developers in effect, because the future is human capital. And if there's a strategic weakness of Nashville, I think going forward, unlike Austin, Texas, our workforce skills in IT are probably not as great in other populations that are going to have a booming 21st century. So you've got to get on that. You've got to get on that early on. And that has to start basically in grammar school, if you can, to get on a track to do that. And it needs to be front of mind and intentional and not pretending we're in a very different city in a very different place. We're not a Rust Belt city. We're not having to repurpose lots of, you know, burned out empty factories that might need some of these particular tools to do this. All this, we don't have legacy costs from the past necessarily like Rust Belt cities do that. So we have this big opportunity to reshape our future because we weren't that big a town 
that long ago. Sure, yeah. You know, we were famous for having universities. Well, you know, wow, is that valuable? It's the most valuable thing, legacy thing that you could have is research in universities. And through several blessings, we became a healthcare center, which is equally blessed in the sense of, you know, it's been a growing part of the GNP for a long time. Um, so we, we've got all these components. If we make this kind of mid-course correction to shifting money back to people, to human capital, and away from buildings, people are always surprised when I tell them this, that our old policy in Nashville is trickle-down. We subsidize buildings and then hope that something good happens to people. Well, landlords are very good at capturing all that subsidy and yeah. not necessarily passing it on to people. And then the people that they pass it on to are not necessarily the people that need benefits from government. You mm -hmm. know, the whole great purpose of a government is to get people from 10 or 12 dollars an hour to 15 dollars an hour to 25 to 30 dollars an hour mm. and once you get out of that lane you're probably not doing your first and most important job that that's that's the tide that needs to rise all those boats you can't really as a government worry that much about people making 150 or 200 thousand dollars a year not if your problem is people making 22 thousand dollars a year or you have police officers making $44,000 a year in a much more expensive space. That's not your job. That's not your priority. This is America. The, the well-to-do have a lot of tools to help look after themselves. And yet we get talked into it. You know, we get, I mean, Amazon coming here is just another example in a way. I mean, glad they're here and everything, but they're willing to take advantage of an inefficient market. Yep. Right? Yep. And they detected this incredibly inefficient market and cities bidding against each other to have stuff come. And boy, are cities willing to do that. Yeah. And it's a huge inefficiency. And cities have to have the confidence then to step back and go, well, we're either not going to participate in that or anything that we give you, we're expecting four or five times that back out to our community and to our citizens. And I would love it if Amazon were to just take over, for example, the scholarships to IT certification. You know, that if you, you don't have the means but you want to get certification in IT, then let's get a scholarship program for people to get trained so that you one day could work for Amazon now that they're here. And I think that we'd agree with that. I think they would agree with that. Well, I hope, I hope some or all of that happens for sure. Uh, so let's talk, speaking sure. of Amazon, let's talk about transportation and parking, right? Those are two things that, yeah, yeah. you know, there was a big uh, transportation bill that failed a year or two ago, but we have this huge problem. I am lucky, very blessed to be able to, I work for myself so I can choose when I go here and there, right? I time out my meetings and my crossing right. town yeah. so that I almost always miss traffic. But most people cannot do that. Yeah. And I see the traffic and it's nuts. So what do we do? Well, you we need a transportation plan. We need it next year. The current mayor says we can't have one until 2025, but it doesn't need to be trains in a tunnel. There are more good plans than just having trains in a tunnel. And the trains in the tunnel in last year's $9 billion plan would have taken all our tax money for the next couple of generations to afford it and the operating losses that would come with that. That plan had a, a bunch of problems. One is that it really didn't connect to anything else. It was just kind of serving a downtown for people that we were hoping were going to move here in the future. Gee, we have a different problem right now, right? And yeah. you've got to connect transit with cars in a way that ends up working. That has to be, it's a regional problem. 
Uh, you've got just basic infrastructure needs like intersections and turning lanes and smart corridors that you could go ahead and do in Atlanta and North Avenue. Mm-hmm. The busiest corridor there is North Avenue. It's no longer Peachtree. Uh, throughput has been increased 7%, which is a huge number in car world and transportation world. Actually, you have smart buses using intelligent stoplights to go more fastly down the street. 7% through costs $3 million. Wow. Right. Just a drop in the bucket. Right. And that kind of product innovation being coupled with needs in a kind of a thoughtful way. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit, I believe, that people can do. But in any of these transportation moments, you have to connect the systems. And then you have to have the system deal with the problem. To some extent, Nashville has an interstate problem. And the interstate problem is created by regional counties with throughput. It's, of course, as we said earlier, part of that is I is inter, too many interstates coming into downtown Nashville and meeting there, that's a long-term problem that may be solved with interstate caps and other routes, et cetera. But for the meantime, you've got to get people off the interstate and into a different mode of transportation. The last plan did not provide for any of that, and yet it used all of our money. So a much smaller plan, but let's get it done immediately, and let's go for the high return on investment and have time to work and time to school be the metrics and spread those benefits out to 30 of the 35 districts in Nashville. Does your plan in the long term involve anything from the other plan that failed in terms oh. of just just modernizing? Well, like we need to get people thinking. Yeah. There are so many times people jump in cars when they could have hopped on a bike or a bus or whatever. Well, there's a lot has been spent on plans. You make an excellent point. We don't need to go back to the planning stage. We need to look at so much money. We spend a lot of money on plans. You need to go through the plans and find what's available financially to us and then get it done and not be frozen. I mean, again, uh, Atlanta has had a different referendum. Some have won, some have lost. As they say down there, you always learn the wrong thing from the last referendum. We should not be learning the wrong thing from this last one, which is to give up. The thing to learn is let's have a better plan. Let's have a better plan that helps you and helps this neighborhood and helps everybody in Nashville for the limited resources that any city is going to have. I mean, no city will have enough money. But we are not, we cannot fantasize about being New York or or Washington, D.C., where the federal government or you have a legacy system of subways, you know, and just because you go to those cities and you have subways, that does not mean that a subway is going to have the ridership here. But let's segue for a moment into parking. Even yeah, little things that we're doing. After. Well, yeah. well, there are many poor things about parking, uh, the parking proposal, one of which is that this is exactly the wrong time to sell our downtown right-of-way. Okay. If our problem with transportation begins with downtown, that it's not moving very efficiently, slowly, then why are you selling your right of way, which is going to be pivotal in designing the right solution in the generation ahead? As Uber, as everybody changes how you do pick up and drop off, that right of way of how you get people to their actual destination is going to be important in doing it. Now, there are other problems with that, such as the inevitability of neighborhood parking meters and not being out seven miles of street parking being kind of thrown out into Nashville. And we're saying, well, we're not necessarily doing it because we not identified the specific spaces. Well, you have seven more miles of street parking that is going Mm -hmm. on. But then underneath it, I'm a financial person. I'm running because the financial problems of the city, I think, can be solved. Why are we doing this? Why are we privatizing parking? We're in a public-private partnership. Hundreds of millions of dollars of fees will be going to the private parking operator, maybe to us, maybe to us, some of that. 
But for the operator, they're going to get hundreds of millions of dollars of fees. What are they going to invest in the city to help make this yeah. better? Yeah. Six and a quarter million dollars over 10 years. That's all. That's it. That's it. That's and in the meantime, the city built $75 million worth of parking garages downtown for basically private parties. Yeah. I mean, as I was thinking about our conversation today, I was thinking about, I think it was 2008, right? When uh, Chicago sold their 36,000 meters uh, for $1.2 billion, right. which is a lot of money, right? But they sold on a 75-year lease to some rich people, mostly in Abu Dhabi. Like, so yeah. people that will never enjoy they're, they're not citizens of chicago so how do we how do we, that was a terrible move right. that was not a human capital human centered move right that was a we need quick influx of cash yeah. so we're going to sell to somebody that's never they don't even they, this is not their place right so how do we yeah well you can't do the deal I mean, you can't do the deal. It's clearly done to plug a short-term budget hole to kind of kite a check for the city going out in the future. But you're going to create a 30-year problem of how yeah. do you redesign the appropriate downtown? How do you make neighborhoods work? It's kind of this most anti-neighborhood thing that you go from kind of street parking, which may be inefficient, but it was yours and your city, to something with very bossy meters that unless you've got a credit card on file and you're not back in a half an hour, it's going to charge you a whole lot of money. Yep. This is not going to work out well for the joy and happiness of the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right to connect the two subjects of transportation and parking because mm -hmm. they are deeply linked. And ultimately, getting more people to share rides and being thoughtful about how we do things, encouraging companies to start at 8.30 and some to start at 9.30. That would be a huge change yeah, for the interstate. It's a simple, a a huge, simple huge, thing yep. for encouraging companies to pay people for not needing parking. Yep. So if you ride share, you have a bigger paycheck because the money that went into your parking is actually coming back to you. Yeah. To stop having a free benefit is definitely a thing in economics. But in the meantime, if you don't redesign how all of this flows and works, the county does not have a countywide transportation plan, traffic plan. We let one building may do a traffic study, but what happens when there are 15 new buildings in a sector? What is, does that overwhelm this? What is that analysis? There's a lot that can be done in a thoughtful and intentional way to create a great city. And, and in one phrase for me, we were, have been viewed as the it city. Now we can become the great city. Last night, I believe, you participated in the Immigrant Refugee Candidate uh, Forum put on by Turk. I love yes. Turk, Tennessee right. Immigrant Refugee Rights Coalition. They're amazing. Everyone listening, check them out. What was that event like, oh, first of all? Oh, and and right. also dovetail what you're going to say there into, I want to spend the last few minutes of our time together as we begin to wrap up on marginalized people. So not just refugees and immigrants, but LGBTQ people, African-American people, and the people that have, by and large, especially in the South, they've been pushed to the side, marginalized, not they've not been taken care of very well. And there's a lot of stigmas and a lot of reasons for people to believe yeah, what, what people kind of think of when they think of the South, right? Yeah. And so how was that event, and how do you see taking care of well, all of those people? Well, uh, uh, the event was so... I know it's a lot. It, well, it's so inspiring. You know, you had a 1,000 people in a room. It's beautiful. It is beautiful, and a generation ago, you would not have had that. And there are a 1,000 very engaged people. There are 1,000 people that are making a life in Nashville that once upon a time, you would have kind of been surprised, you know, that there were... Kurdish or Nepalese people in Nashville uh, in such numbers. Those mm -hmm. are very large communities in Nashville. And they're very much Americans. You know, they're very much Americans. Yes. They are such hard workers. They're community involved. The faith 
plays such a part in their lives. And so it's inspiring to be there on a stage. You're looking out at a thousand people. And that is Nashville's kind of competitive advantage, right? That we are a southern city, but we're a diverse city. I'm told by somebody who just moved here from Charlotte, oh my gosh, it's so great to be in Nashville because you're so much more diverse than Charlotte. Well, that becomes part of our story as we get into the 21st century. And again, we always held ourselves as a little bit unique back into the 19th century and after that, that we were a little bit different. We had all the best of the South and not as much of the worst, and now we're going to have all the best of the whole world here and all these different communities. But we still want to do it in this Nashville way, which is friendly and accommodating and people-centric and hopefully not too full of ourselves. And with easier human relations, with easy human relations between everybody who's here, you honor everybody who's here, who welcome everybody who's coming. And their success, though, will be based back on this neighborhood investment, back mm-hmm. to actually getting the focus financially of the city back out to the neighborhoods where people live. Nolensville Road, which where this event was last night, is not a corridor, it's a destination. And in the right Nashville, 10 years from now, people will go, oh, you were in Nashville. Did you go to Nolensville Road? Isn't the food amazing? It. Yeah. And that's a, of course that's where you would go and celebrate this kind of uniqueness that the city is managing to put together through being welcoming historically and then also able to address its priorities as they happen. Downtown wasn't doing well. We fixed that. Now neighborhoods need help. We're going to fix that. It's a pleasure Nick, to be here. Um, I'm grateful. I'm going to, there's always one more thing to do when you're running for mayor. And and I encourage everybody who's listening ever to think about doing this. Politics is one of these things where you use all of yourself. And it's very fantastic to be able to do that. And uh, the community that you're in, you really don't know it as well as you can when you're running for office. You see yeah, the whole community, totally. and you see the whole community's needs. And then running for mayor is fabulous because every person I have ever talked to has a specific idea mm. about how Nashville could be better. It may be that their trash needs to be collected differently or the recycling needs to be handled differently, or they want to tell me about this incredible principle at their children's school. Everybody has an idea about how to be how to be part of this great city going forward. And that is beyond inspiring. Yeah, hearing all those different ideas gives you a sense of like, okay, we're tackling this from all the angles, right? We're not all focused on the environment. We're not all focused on education. It kind of probably as hopefully the future mayor of Nashville, like it gives you like, oh, we're there are a lot of people giving a damn. There's a lot of people helping oh, make this oh. thing become a reality. Maybe 10 don't, but there's 700,000 people who do. And it's very inspiring to hear from them and to know their commitment to us being an incredible city. Everybody here is ambitious and ambitious for our city. Boy, is that exciting. If that's a gift that you could give to any other city, you would want to give it because we're all sitting here going, how do we do it better? Mm. How do we not be just another city? Mm. Some of us have come here. Some have come here from somewhere else. The people who are here also, how do we be a better city? We are ambitious. Let's harness that ambition and in fact, really do it. I love it. Okay, thank you. John, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. Dear friends, I told you you'd like John, but for real, I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed being part of the conversation. I hope your mind is racing right now as you come up with ideas for how you can serve your community well. No matter where you are, there are opportunities to give a damn right now. You don't have to become mayor, 
or even run to become mayor to make a difference in your community, truth is, within a stone's throw of wherever you are right now in this moment, there are people and places and things that need you. You can find links and more information about this podcast conversation and all things Let's Give a Damn by going to letsgiveadamn.com. If you love what we're doing on this podcast, please tell a friend or maybe leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That takes 30 to 40 seconds tops. Or consider sending a few dollars our way each month to support the production of this show by going to patreon.com slash letsgiveadamn right now. This podcast episode was created by Chad Snavely and yours truly. The music is by our friend and fellow damn giver, Propaganda. Friends, I simply cannot wait to spend more time with you next week. I love you all. Peace. Peace.